Good morning, Eden Church family. It's a joy to be able to share with you some thoughts this morning from Psalm 16. Some truths that we can meditate on as we think about what supreme safety and supreme satisfaction look like in God and God alone. So turn with me, in you, if you would, in your copy of God's Word to Psalm 16. And let's read this psalm together. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Well, I wonder, what do you think of when you think of the term refuge or you think of the idea of refuge? For me, I think of tree forts. You may say, that's bizarre. Well, I do. That was one of the first things I remember as I tried to think through this idea. It's from a childhood memory of one of the favorite places I loved to go as probably an eight or nine-year-old, and that was to a friend's house because his family owned a lot of woods behind their backyard, in their backyard. It must have been acres and acres. And my friend had several older brothers, and each of them had their own tree fort, tree house, glorified tree house. And these things were pretty amazing. I mean, they, they came close to rivaling, you know, Swiss Family Robinson quality. And the rule was that the older the, each boy got in this family, the higher they could build their tree fort. So if I was you know, fortunate enough to be welcomed up to you know, the oldest son's tree house, sometimes we'd be climbing 20 to 30 feet up in the air. And once you actually made it and, and mustered up the courage to actually climb that high and you got up there, there was this sense as an eight or nine-year-old I am invincible. Nothing can touch me up here. No one can get me up here, right? I mean, climbing these trees was amazing. It gave this strong sense of, of safety. Being so high up, combined with the secrecy of the hideout in the woods, I mean, this was a refuge, especially from the known elementary school stressors of math problems and sentence diagramming, and of course, practicing the piano. Finding places of refuge, though, are common for people of all ages. Uh, people find refuge in things such as beholding nature, uh, camping, 
hiking, skiing, fishing. People find refuge in traveling and in sightseeing and exploring and discovering and learning and researching. People find refuge in entertainment, in concerts or movies or shows. People find refuge though in, in harmful things, harmful habits, things such as heavy alcohol consumption, doing drugs, viewing illicit material, even compulsive online shopping and so on and so forth. There are life-giving places of refuge and there are life-draining places of refuge. But the reason we seek them is because at a foundational level, we all know that we are not self-sufficient to solve all the problems that we're going to face in our lives. We are all vulnerable to the calamities of life in a fallen world. We know this to our core. And in Psalm 16, though we don't know the exact particulars of what the backdrop is to this Psalm of David, we know that David understands he is vulnerable and he can't save himself. He needs a refuge. So while there's many different ways in which we can consider this psalm at kind of a granular level, for our purposes this morning, we'll see verses 1 through 6 as David's being safe and satisfied in the present. And then the back end of the psalm, verses 7 through 11, how David is safe and satisfied for eternity. So let's begin by looking at David's safe and satisfied state in the present in verses 1 through 6. So in verse 1, David offers the only prayer request uh, directly to God in this entire psalm, in which he directly addresses God in verse 1, and he says, Preserve me, O God. Preserve me. This idea is, is to, to watch over me or, or to keep me in, in every sense. He knows troubles on the horizon. And his soul is afraid. He's worried about uh, not making it through a particular trial or temptation or a, a situation, maybe a battle or something. And as he should, his first words are prayer. How many of us test the waters of a dozen or so possible other refuge options first before we finally consign ourselves to our need to pray? I mean, these are David's first words. And from this prayer, we see a, a back and forth movement of, of instructing his own heart. Then while uh, exhorting others about the folly of pursuing other places of refuge. So David quickly declares, in you I take refuge. God is his place of security, safety, protection, and provision against all that assails him. Let me ask you, does COVID-19, does the coronavirus worry you? Does the economic fallout worry you? Does your loss of work weigh heavily upon your mind? Do fears of a rapid enlargement of government control over our lives keep you up at night? or perhaps dominate all or most of what you read in the course of a day or a week. Well, as David continues in verse 2, 
like David says, say to the Lord in this situation, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. David personalizes things here. I mean, he says his refuge is not merely the Lord. It is my Lord. So in your fearful moments, do you run to a personal God? Or do you run to just a dry, abstract set of ideas? That's sort of just a general sense of providence that, you know, whether I obey or pray or actively seek God, God's going to do what God's going to do because, you know, he's sovereign and he's providentially ruling everything. So, so there. We just sort of take a fatalistic, dry, abstract idea rather than a personalizing of this refuge and this shelter that I need is my Lord. David's faith here is so personalized. I, he, he, his very next thought is, I have no good apart from you. So his entire welfare, his entire net worth, you might say, none of it can be thought of as coming to him in a manner that is disconnected from God. Consider that for a moment. I mean, can you say that? Do you think this way? Your health, your work, your clothes, your food, your country, your family, your earnings, your good decisions that you're sort of proud of that maybe put you in the place that you are now? Is there anything that you have not connected and attributed to the goodness of God, such that you can say, I, I don't have any good thing in my life that I look at in terms other than a, a direct attribution to the goodness of God. Verse 3 continues, from the goodness of God, David's next thought is the precious people of God. As for the saints in the land, David writes, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The worshiping community in Israel, the excellent or the holy ones, are those whom David delights in. So not only is David personally running for refuge to Yahweh, but he's running to God alongside a company who share his passion the people of God. And as we know, or at least as we ought to know, so well over the past couple months, while personal time with God is essential and foundational and so necessary and oftentimes so sweet, this only lays a foundation for seeking a refuge in God together with our fellow soldiers, moving in formation together against the forces of darkness Announcing that as one commentator put it, he said, there is no refuge from him, only in him. This is our refuge in God. The thought of fellow comrades sharing in this refuge delights David's soul. Does it delight your soul? Maybe ask yourself, has, has quarantine actually revealed to you your lack of love for people, the people of God in particular? Has it opened your eyes to how very little you delight in your fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord? 
then perhaps that revelation alone for purposes of repentance is your God-ordained wake-up call through this pandemic. Your need to love the people of God. Imagine finding refuge in some cellar in the ground as a, as a tornado's coming your way. And, and you don't even think that there may be others that may need to share in that refuge. All you can think about is tunnel vision. I've got to protect myself. I mean, we, good job, right? I mean, we commend you for finding shelter, but not at the expense of all these others who need to share that refuge with you, right? Our refuge in God is meant to be a shared refuge with God's holy ones, our spiritual family. As verse 4 continues, we see David go into sound the alarm mode as he warns of the coming sorrow for those who think that they can find refuge in other gods. These sorrows multiply, he says, as people go deeper and deeper into the delusion that shelter can be found outside Yahweh. David resolves that he will not participate in such empty rituals and sacrifices, blood sacrifices that pretend that these false gods are even real or that they're able to care for him like Yahweh. He says, I'm not even going there. He will not even utter their names so as not to be seen as paying honor to them. So David is calling idols out for what they are. He's not playing games. He's not going along with this deception. Only a multiplying of sorrows falls on the heads of idol worshipers. He, on the other hand, runs to the Lord. Do you think we lack idols today? Uh, no, we do not. We run to work and we pray that it gives us worth and identity. We worship education and we pray it bestows upon us a successful career. We make gods of people and relationships and pray that they satisfy us in a way that only God can. We run to money and we pray it buys us enough stuff to lull us into forgetting we even have a need for a refuge in the first place. We run to sexual pleasure asking it to satisfy our hearts. But instead, we only reap the multiplication of sorrow. As John Calvin so famously put it, man's nature is a perpetual factory of idols. There is simply no limit to the way in which the human heart can worship things other than God. We need to call out our own idols for what they are, and come to grips with the truth that false worship is not only false, but it is painful. It hurts. It hurts us. It hurts others. And it's the multiplication of sorrow through and through, now and forever. Sorrow multiplies when refuge is sought in false worship. Well, continuing in verses 5 and 6, this section ends here, this first section in verses 5 and 6, with David gathering up his ideas 
that he's laid out so far and, and reflecting upon them now. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot, David says. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. While slightly different, our portion, our cup, our lot, our lines, these generally speak to the allotment of God's good, uh, his good cup of blessing that he showers on his people. Not in the form of material things per se, but rather that he himself is that portion. Like the Old Testament Levitical priests who were not given land, for the Lord was to be their inheritance. David says the measuring ropes, sort of the, the measuring tape, uh, these, these ropes have fallen to him in very good places. So the size of his inheritance is unbelievable because it is the Lord himself. Now what does this teach us? Even about contentment. When the Lord is your refuge, you have all you ever need. When you, when you can say, I have no good, Lord, apart from you. Whining, grumbling, envy, jealousy, scheming, they all fade. Because why? You have everything you need. When you delight in the saints, as David writes in verse 4, your critical eye that might easily judge your brother or sister, your fellow church member, it vanishes as God alone fills your heart like nothing else. Well, David celebrates that he's safe and he's satisfied in the here and now in verses 1 through 6. But he continues to celebrate that he's similarly safe and satisfied forever in verses 7 through 11. So in verse 7, David writes, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. It's a pretty popular thing to say that you're seeing a counselor in today's world. And not in a sheepish way that's sort of you know, kind of like a private discussion. No, even as one celebrity recently said, everyone should see a therapist. Everyone should see a counselor. It's greatly enhanced my journey to self-love. In many non-Christian contexts, it's sort of a badge of honor, letting people know that you are a very self-aware person. You've really uh, ventured to the depths of your soul, kind of like yoga for the soul. In all sincerity, though, Counseling on a human-to-human -human level is often needful and life-giving, most especially between Christians, building one another up in truth. But let us never, ever forget or mistake or displace our supreme counselor, and that is God. God speaks to us through the Bible, and he applies that truth through his spirit. I mean, this is amazing. And it's amazingly undervalued by believers. Does God counsel you? Do you hear God speak as his voice just reverberates in the pages of your Bible? We know there is wisdom in the multitude of counselors, but no person's voice will ever come close 
to counseling you and your soul like the very voice of God. And this is the promise that David delights in. Even in the night watches, he writes, the heart guided by God's counsel instructs us in paths of righteousness. In verse 8, we read, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Verse 8 is David's putting it into practice and pulling everything together that he said thus far. And what does it mean to set the Lord before us? It is, as Calvin writes, to keep all other senses bound and captive, or to keep all our senses bound and captive, that they may not run out and go astray after another object. So God is at our right hand. This is an idiomatic way of referring to a place of strength and a place of honor. Soldiers in the ancient world would carry their shields in their left hands, leaving their right side unprotected. So it's as, it's as if David is saying, at my right hand, I have the Lord. There is nothing unprotected here. It is the place of highest strength and safety. In verses 9 and 10, the result of this kind of Godward perspective is a glad heart and a whole being that rejoices and dwells secure. David notes in verse 10, that God will not abandon his soul to the place of the dead, Sheol, the grave, or let his Holy One see corruption. David trusted in God's unswerving covenantal love to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and him. And these promises had been fulfilled in part, but not completely until the coming of Christ. And David knew that God wouldn't carry him all the way through life only to abandon his, his soul at death. It didn't make any sense. The apostle Peter knew the same thing as he read from this very same passage in his famous sermon at Pentecost. But he applies it to Jesus. Even while Jesus was killed by lawless men, Peter writes, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Peter tells us David knew one of his descendants would sit on his throne, foreseeing a day and speaking of the resurrection of the Messiah. So for new covenant believers, this resurrection is our resurrection. Since we are united in Jesus' atoning death and victorious conquering of the grave. So since God did not abandon David or Jesus to the grave, he most certainly will not abandon you. Do you fear death? Perhaps you fit into that category of being a vulnerable person in our society as, uh, as the, the recent pandemic has helped us sort of know about this category of folks most at risk. Perhaps you're deeply concerned for yourself or you're deeply concerned for a friend or a loved one in this category. And you'd have to admit that you have a lot of fears and anxiety after watching one news headline after another. Well, make it known to your soul 
that you are secure even in the valley of the shadow of death with God at your right hand. This is David's confidence and it's ours as well. In verse 11, God makes known the path of life and in his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. We are safe and we are satisfied today and we're safe and satisfied tomorrow and forevermore. For any sinner who has repented of their sins and trusted in the announcement of the, the gospel of King Jesus, exercising faith in his substitutionary sacrifice and glorious resurrection, the curse of sin has been broken and fellowship with God is restored. Fullness of joy as we walk the path of life that empties out into eternal pleasures, this is life with God for the excellent ones for the holy ones, the saints, of which David speaks in verse 4. Verse 3, actually. If you've been facing lately depression, loneliness, despair, just a sullenness and a, a melancholy nature to life, fix your eyes on these promises this morning. Lift your eyes and don't let yourself miss what manner of joy is yours and is reserved for you in God, not only for eternity, but in the path of life today. My encouragement to you this morning is to continue meditating on these ideas as you work through the discussion questions uh, that are in the worship guide for you, either by yourself or with someone else, maybe even a phone call that you want to, to talk with someone else about these things. And just seeking to apply this, this psalm and these truths at a deeper level and making heart adjustments as God desires in your life. As the well-known catechism states, we exist to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. So let's remember this does not happen alone though. And as we begin to see light at the end of the tunnel and we uh, aim at regathering in just a number of weeks, God willing, may we come together soon rekindled and recharged, having looked at the precious promises like these and allowing them to fuel the hope and the joy and even the way in which we see one another. So where is your refuge? during these odd and bizarre times in which we're living. Tell your soul. Tell it today. Tell it tomorrow. Tell it throughout this week. Tell your soul you are safe and you are satisfied in the refuge that is God and God alone.